Hey everyone, and welcome to the OS Training Podcast. My name is Steve Burge, and in this week's episode, we have the Busy Person's Guide to Drupal 8. If you've been busy with other projects, you haven't had the time to dig into Drupal 8 yet, we talk with Mike Anello, who'll tell us what's been happening with Drupal 8, where it's going next year, what's happening with the ups and downs in the Drupal community, and everything you need to know to catch up on where Drupal is right now. Hey Mike, welcome to the OS Training Podcast. Hey, Steve, how are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, great to have you on. Um, So, Mike, would you mind introducing yourself quickly? You are one of the many open source people that live down here in Florida, right? I am. I think there's there's quite a few of us. Um, I'm mainly a Drupal guy. I've been doing Drupal for over 11 years now, um, and I'm based in Central Florida. So if people have come across you in the Drupal community, it's probably through running the big Drupal camp in Orlando each year, or quite often you're on stage at DrupalCons? Yeah, I, t- I have my fingers in a lot of pies in the Drupal world. You know, like you said, I'm one of the main organizers of the Florida Drupal camp, which is held every winter in, in, in Orlando. I'm pretty involved in the community, um, at you know, local, regional, national, international level. I volunteer for the Drupal Association. I, I work with their community cultivation grants where we, you know, it's the best volunteer gig ever because we basically give money away. And then I'm also a volunteer with the Drupal Community Working Group. Um, and we're the folks that kind of protect and uphold and, and do conflict resolution uh, with regards to the Drupal Code of Conduct. Oh, and you've got your own podcast too, right? You're... Yeah, I, I do. We, um, you know, my company, Drupal Easy, we have... Uh, one of the longer-running Drupal podcasts. Uh, actually, just this morning, we recorded episode 198. So you can find that on iTunes and pretty much everywhere else. My full-time gig <laughs> is I'm actually a Drupal trainer and consultant. So I do, uh, I do a lot of training. We have one of the only long-form Drupal training programs around. We have a 12-week program. Um, all online in real time, so it's using GoToMeeting, so you see my head in a box. Uh, that's 12 weeks, three half days a week, and we have one of those classes going on as we speak. And we also have a six-week class, um, similar style, six weeks, three half days a week. And that's more geared towards not necessarily people new to Drupal, people with some experience, but also focused on building Drupal sites with Pantheon. And Pantheon is kind of a modern hosting provider for Drupal sites. Not only do we talk about kind of Drupal best practices and development pre- uh, workflows and, and best practices, but also how to uh, work with uh, Pantheon as well, as far as some of the features that they offer. So it's pretty much, you know, all Drupal all the time for me. I kind of feel like I should have flipped that initial question and asked what, kind, what parts of Drupal are you not involved in? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's one of those things. I'm one of those people who I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a lifetime learner where I'm always, you know, that's, that's what keeps me kind of really going is just learning new things. So it's, it's very hard for me to not get involved in things. And I, I, I'm, you know, as I get older, I'm learning a lot more how to say no to things, but I, I would definitely, you know, if you give me more hours in the day, um, you know, for work, I would probably fill them pr- uh, pretty easily with, you know, learning new things and kind of sharing that knowledge. It's kind of, it's kind of the open source way and it, it, it suits me quite well. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, Mike, is that we are 
pretty quickly coming up on the second anniversary of Drupal 8's launch. I think it was November 19th or so, a couple of years ago, that Drupal 8 finally dropped. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was about to say, it's sometime like in the next few days, I think. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to check in with you to see how, how Drupal 8 was doing a, a couple of years after its launch. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that I have not seen a new project start on anything but Drupal 8, you know, I, I would say since the beginning of the year. You know, I would say for most of the time in 2016, when I would work with new clients or, or, or work um, or, or train people, and I would ask them, what are they using Drupal 7 or Drupal 8? You know, the common answer was, well, you know, I have an existing Drupal 7 site or we're starting a new site and we're trying to decide if we should use 7 or 8. And that was pretty much the answer I got in 2016. This year, it's, I've definitely seen a shift where most people aren't even considering Drupal 7 for new sites. Pretty much, you know, if you're going to build a brand new site in Drupal, you're going to use Drupal 8. Because a lot of the tools have matured, a lot of the, mod, the, the module ecosystem is mature, and we're up to Drupal 8.4 dot something with, with Drupal Core. So it's a pretty solid platform to build on at this point. So if Drupal is Drupal 8 all the way, what are the major changes that someone will see if they move over to Drupal 8? Uh, are there any big visual changes to the admin interface, or are most of the changes under the hood with the, uh, with the programming approach in Drupal 8? Yeah, I, th I think it's fair to say that most of the changes are under the hood. Um, there, are, there are definitely some visual changes that you'll see. There's some things that have been a long time coming from the UI and from just from the functionality that's included out of the box. I mean, one of the, kind of the, the, the things that was really a problem, I think, for a lot of people was the fact that Drupal 7 didn't ship with the WYSIWYG editor out of the box. And to get a WYSIWYG editor up and running required a, you know, a couple of modules and a plugin and some configuration and stuff. And that, that was kind of nutty. So, you know, with Drupal 8, we now have got, you know, a built-in WYSIWYG editor, you know, based on CK, well, it is CK editor, you know, some very commonly used modules that, you know, were contrib in Drupal 7 are now part of Drupal 8 core, uh, first and foremost, the views module. There were some, definitely uh, some information architecture improvements in the UI that, you know, they were mainly there in Drupal 7, but they're kind of cleaned up and and Drupal 8's really gone all in with, you know, this whole concept of entities, bundles, and fields um, in, in a lot of places. And it, it really makes, once you understand some key concepts, it gives you, it opens up a lot of power um, to site builders, you know, uh, non-programmer site builders in Drupal 8. Can you talk me through that quickly? So, yeah, so the idea it's been is... reorganized around entities, bundles, and fields. Uh, fields, I think most people understand, but what are entities and bundles in Drupal's terms? Yeah, so that's it's a great question. So if you think about it like this, is, is Drupal gives us these different types of entities to to create content with, and that content might be something like a, a page or an article, but it might also be a user profile. It might also be um, a, a comment. You know, what's the format of a comment? You know, most comments have a subject and a body field, but there's nothing in Drupal 8 saying that the information architecture for a comment can't be something different. Um, the same thing for taxonomy and vocabularies. There's, there's nothing stopping us in Drupal 8 to kind of spec out what a vocabulary should look like. You know, I think out of the box, vocabularies have, you know, a term and a description. But a lot of times it's helpful to associate an image with each term. So in Drupal 8, you know, out of the box, you can, and in Drupal 7 as well, 
you could add a, a new field to, to a vocabulary. And what Drupal 8 has really done is it's kind of um, applied that concept to in, in all the places that make sense. You know, one of the things that's new in Drupal 8 when it comes to you know, entities is blocks. So blocks are now entities, and we can have different block types. So we can have a block type that's just a traditional, you know, body field. But now we can also have a block type that's maybe just a list of links, or a block type that takes an address and you know outputs a map. So the idea that we have all of these these entities and core things like users and blocks and content and and, and terms. And we can specialize them into different bundles. So we can have different types of content, different types of vocabularies, different types of blocks. And then we can add fields to each of those uh, bundles. Um, it really opens the door to mapping an organization's data to Drupal without writing any code. And it's actually one of the, the core lessons that I teach in both of you know our long-form classes is you know, to really take advantage of everything Drupal 8 has to offer, you have to know how to kind of leverage what it's giving you out of the box. So is it fair to say that quite a few of the improvements might be hidden unless you look for them and, and know what you're looking for? It's something like users and blocks and comments becoming actual entities. And it's not the kind of thing you might see on the surface, but might require a bit of study to, right. to dig out a feature like that. Yeah, I think it's more, you know, a bit of it is conceptual. I think for people new to Drupal, it's it's not obvious at all. I think for people who have worked with Drupal 7 in the past, it's you're going to, you know, you're going to see a lot of familiarity, but then you're going to see new wrinkles um, here and there that will hopefully make you smile and say, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, going back to your last question um, about whether the changes are visible in the UI or under the hood, I mean, there, there's a ton of changes under the hood, obviously, with Drupal you know, kind of taking the uh, the approach of, of a lot of other PHP projects of incorporating third-party components. I, mean, I think it's well known that Drupal has incorporated a lot of the Symfony components into Drupal Core. Drupal Core is now largely object-oriented PHP. The theming system is now based on Twig. So writing modules is, is very different than it was in Drupal 7. Uh, for the better, I might add, in my opinion. <laughs> Um, working with the theme in Drupal 8, uh, I think is, uh, you know, I'll say again, in my opinion, but I think most people agree, it's m much nicer to, to uh, do front-end stuff in Drupal 8 than it was in Drupal 7 and previous. And this may be a controversial point, but it seems as if Drupal is moving heavily in the, I guess the word Dries likes to use is ambitious. I was going to say enterprise, but that might be a little controversial. Um, <laughs> it, it seems as if Drupal and the software it's using, the skill sets it requires are moving slightly upmarket towards requiring a knowledge of perhaps Composer on the command line and some high-level skills to dive into Drupal 8? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely moving in that direction. I mean, there's no, you can't really sugarcoat that. The on-ramp to Drupal 8 is not as easy as it was in previous versions of Drupal. Well, let, let, me, let, me, pref let me put a caveat on in that. I think if you're a pure site builder, and you don't get involved in code, there's a lot of things that are actually easier. I think once you move out of site building and into kind of developer workflow stuff, you know, maybe module development, I'll throw theme development in there only because it's different than previous versions of Drupal. So there's a lot that's new to learn if you've done Drupal in the past. But I would argue if you haven't done Drupal in the past, 
you know, the theming I don't think is any more difficult to learn than, it, you know, if you're starting from zero than it was in the past. Um, I think where things uh, get more complex is it's, it's more difficult for kind of a casual web hobbyist to get involved in Drupal. You know, the, to get a local environment up and running requires a little bit more, you know, beefy of a, of a local environment. For many modules, you can still just download the tar file from drupal.org and plop it in the modules directory and be good. But there's definitely momentum towards, you know, building code bases for Drupal projects with Composer. And Composer, you know, as we know, that's, it's a command line tool and there's, you know, there's a bit of a learning curve there and not everybody's comfortable on the command line. So there's, there's, it, it would definitely raise the bar a little bit. But for those people that already know Composer and know kind of what it brings to the table and the advantages of it, you know, I would argue it's a good thing that we're using it because it solves a lot of problems. It just raises the bar. It raises that entry level for people, I think, a bit. So humor me from, uh, from an idiot's point of view yeah. for a second. Uh, what does Composer get used for in a, in a CMS like Drupal? Are you doing things such as treating the the theme or particular modules or even the Drupal core itself as a package? I mean, Composer is a, a package manager? Right. Yeah, dependency manager. What's it being used for in the Drupal site build? Yeah, so you can use it a couple of different ways. I, I think the, the recommended way to, uh, I would say, and I'm putting this in air quotes, I know you can't see it, but I, I'd say what, what's called the best practice in, in Drupal 8 sites. Um, is to set up your project with Drupal core as one of the dependencies. Meaning that your project is, is your project and you're basically saying, Composer, my project requires Drupal core. And then you're kind of letting Composer go out and download Drupal as well as all of Drupal's dependencies. Um, and when I'm talking about dependencies, I'm talking about those Symfony components I mentioned before. And you know, there's a bunch of components, you know, many of them are not Symfony, but if we were to ask end users to download Drupal core from drupal.org, but then also go out to these 13 websites and download these symphony components and guzzle and you know, these other components, download them from their respective websites and then put them all in the right directory, that's a, a tedious task. Not, not to mention, make sure you download the right version of all these things. That can be a very tedious task. And that's basically what Composer does for us. You know, if we say Composer, you know, require Drupal Core in this project, Composer goes out and gets Drupal Core, and then Drupal Core says, hey, Composer, I need these dependencies. So go out and get all of those. And then all of those dependencies might have other dependencies. So it comes it's like this, could be this giant dependency tree, which for a human to do it would be tedious and, you know, in my opinion, a bit nightmarish. Um, for a machine to do it or for Composer to do it, you know, it becomes routine. So there's that aspect of it. And then the other aspect of it is, you know, traditionally in Drupal 7 and before, if you needed a contributed module, there were a couple of ways of getting it. You can go to drupal.org and click the download link and download it to your machine and extract it and plop it in the right directory. A lot of people in the Drupal 7 days use a command line tool called Drush. And you could just Drush download the name of the module you wanted and it would figure out the right version and, you know, download it, extract it and put it in the right directory for you. So that was a big time saver. Composer can basically do the same thing with the added benefit of if your module has dependencies, whether they're other Drupal modules or other PHP projects out there on GitHub and packages, Composer can handle all that for you with contributed modules as well. It's replacing Drush to some extent? It's replacing, in my opinion, it's replacing Drush DL. 
Drush is still a valuable tool for Drupal 8 sites. But when I teach, you know, how to build a Drupal 8 site these days, I don't teach using Drush DL. And actually, if you have a recent version of Drush and you have a Drupal 8 site and you try and do a Drush download or Drush DL, it will give you a little warning saying, this may not be the best way of doing this anymore. You may want to be using it. Uh, so it almost seems like this is a very clear knock-on effect from what you were talking about earlier, that when it comes to Drupal 8, the developers went out and they grabbed some components from Symfony. They integrated uh, Twig and Guzzle, mm -hmm. and they have an enormous vendor folder in Drupal 8 now right. with all sorts of different libraries. And, and an almost inevitable consequence of using so many third-party components is that you have to have something like Composer to keep on top of them all. Yeah, just to, just to manage it all. But, I mean, there's so many pros or so many, you know, good things about using those third-party dependencies. We're basically, you know, leveraging code written by other communities, code that is maintained by other communities and updated and, you know, looked at by other communities. So rather than, you know, Guzzle is a great example. You know, Guzzle is, a, is a, a PHP class that basically, you know, allows you to, um, you know, query, you know, some URL somewhere. And up until Drupal 8, that was all, you know, we had, you know, API functions in Drupal core, custom API functions to do all that stuff for us. When we decided as a community to start integrating third-party components, all of that custom code went away. We didn't have to, we don't have to maintain any of that code anymore. We just include Guzzle. And now we can use the Guzzle API, which, you know, is rock solid. It's used by, you know, um, PHP project, small and large, you know, CMSs, custom CMSs, you name it. It's code that we don't have to maintain. We just have to integrate with it. I mean, there's huge, huge advantages to doing stuff like that. So is it fair to say that doing this has saved quite a lot of, develop quite a lot of developer time for the, uh, the, the Drupal core developers? They've been able to focus on improving their unique code and then relying on external libraries in all sorts of situations where they, their code is already available? Yeah, I think I think we we paid the, the the big price we paid was moving from seven to eight because we had to re rewrite a lot of our our code to integrate with all of these third party components and that was you know it was a steep price we all know how long you know Drupal eight took something like five years to to build and to get out so I think we're really going to start seeing and we've to be honest I think we've already started seeing a lot of wins and you know all that investment start paying off I mean. One of the biggest wins from that investment is we've kind of changed the way that we release Drupal, where now every six months or so we get a point release. And in the past, you know, these point releases were only ever bug fixes and security releases. So Drupal 7 went basically five years without any, you know, major new functionality added. With Drupal 8, because we're now sitting on such a rock solid, you know, foundation, one of the reasons why we are now able to do these point releases with new functionality every six months. You know, we're up to 8.4. We're getting all kinds of cool layout stuff, you know, in at this point. I think the payoff, it's, it's like one of those investments we made that's going to continue paying off for a long time to come in the future. So the Drupal 7 to Drupal 8 move was, was massive. It was an enormous rewrite of the sure. Drupal system. How difficult is the migration at the moment? Well, it really depends on the site. I know that's like, that's like a cop-out of an answer. <laughs> But if you've got a simple brochure site, it's relatively easy to move from, from seven to eight. It, you know, it depends on you know, a couple of factors, and I'll just talk about some of the big ones. 
if you want to basically take your Drupal 7 site and keep the information architecture the way it is and move to 8, that becomes a lot easier. But, you know, there's a lot of folks out there who have Drupal 7 sites whose, you know, organization has evolved over time and they want to make some pretty big changes to the website, the way that their information is, is entered and presented and things like that. So that generally is going to require some type of information architecture change. So when you're going to migrate from 7 to 8, you need to take those changes into account, which makes things a little bit more difficult. So the data migration, you know, can be simple. It can be complex. It's, it's generally as complex as you want to make it. The other, you know, kind of two big pillars, if we have three pillars, one of them being your data, the other two uh, are one of the others being any custom code you have on, on your seven site. If you've got custom modules written, uh, number one, you need to decide if they're still relevant for Drupal 8. And number two, you've got to move them. You've got to port them to Drupal 8. And the community has some tools to help with that. But in the end, there's going to be some, some, you know, some coding involved with that. And then the third pillar is obviously the look and feel. And most of, you know, most of the folks I've seen that moved from 7 to 8 they're not keeping the same look and feel. They're using the upgrade to eight as an opportunity to kind of refresh the site's look and feel. So that requires, you know, rewriting the theme. So it can be a fairly large task, um, but if you've got a relatively simple information architecture you don't want to change, you're not using any custom modules and all of your contrib modules are available for Drupal 8, and you want to keep the same look and feel, it's not that big of a deal. So. I think most people fall somewhere in the middle, though. So what do you tell people on Drupal 7 at the moment? Do you tell them that Drupal 7 is perfectly fine and they can keep on using it? Or do you encourage them to upgrade as soon as possible? No, I, right now, uh, you know, with my clients, I, I tell them you know, whatever they're comfortable with. There's no rush to get off Drupal 7 yet. Drupal 7 is still supported with bug fixes and security updates. Um, and it will be for, I would say, at least another two, three years. That's just, you know, that's not official. That's just me with, with my guess. And, you know, the, the community, it's been really interesting to see over the past two years, we've, uh, we've seen a number of organizations step up to provide long-term support for older versions of Drupal. So uh, I know that of at least four organizations that are still supporting Drupal 6 with security updates. So I don't think there's any rush to move off Drupal 7. I do think that... if an organization that's using Drupal 7 is thinking about doing something major to their site, it might be worth it to consider moving to Drupal 8. So I guess lots of companies have a natural life cycle with their websites. Sites last five or six years now, if you're lucky. And if someone's coming to the end of that major life cycle and they're going to do a, a big refresh anyway, then now's a good time. But otherwise, Drupal 7 will be good for a few years yet. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with, with that completely. So. Where are things headed with Drupal 8, we have a, a six-month release cycle with new features coming every half year. What do we have to look forward to in 2018 with the next couple of big releases? Um, I think a couple of things that are probably most exciting and, and most uh, visible are going to be the things that are happening with, the, with layout and things that are happening with the media uh, initiative. So with layout, a lot of times if you wanted to do layout through the UI without having to write custom templates and stuff like that. Generally, you use something like Display Suite module, which was a contrib module, or Panels module, or now the Paragraphs module. Um, those are kind of the three kind of big ways uh, of dealing with, with layout through the UI. 
But a lot of that functionality is, is making its way into Drupal core. So there's going to be kind of the one canonical way to apply layout to, you know, either pages or different content or site. We have in 8.4, there's an experimental module called layout discovery, which basically is more of an API module, but it basically defines what a, um, what a layout is and how, you know, you can write custom layouts to interact with it. And then modules like Display Suite and Panels, they're taking advantage of, of, that, of that core module. There's also one called Field Layout, which is in, in another experimental module, which basically does a lot of things that the Display Suite module does as far as laying out individual uh, bundles. So if you've got a, a content type of, of type article, using just what's in Drupal 8.4, you can output you know, all of the fields for that article into two columns, for example. You don't need panels, you don't need display suite or anything else. So the layout stuff is actually really interesting. It has a lot of people excited because it's going to kind of be the, you know, the one way uh, to do it. And there's more kind of modules coming in to kind of support that. The other one, the one I mentioned was uh, the media initiative, kind of first class media handling in Drupal 4, which has, again, been something that Contrib has, has had there's been a lot of contrib modules to help with, with uh, media management um, for Drupal 7 and for Drupal 8, but a lot of kind of the best of breed stuff is moving into core. So we'll be able to, you know, define, you know, what, what, what does it mean to be like a, a video? You know, um, you know, is that video hosted on the site or are we just talking a video that's hosted on YouTube or Vimeo or somewhere? And once, once we, you know, create this video entity, you know, what does that mean? Can we attach it to other types of entities? You know, how does that video entity get displayed to end users? How do we browse, you know, our media libraries? You know, what is a media library? I mean, all those things are just, is all kind of about the, the media initiative. And it's all stuff that's slowly making its way into Drupal core. 8.4 has a, a base media entity in it now that, you know, some contrib modules are taking advantage of. So that... That type of thing, it's only going to accelerate as we get to 8.5, 8.6. More modules related to layout, related to media are going to find their way into core. And it, it's really going to, you know, it, it's going to be some nice wins uh, for Drupal 8 and, you know, in the next year or so. So what I'm hearing from you is that the Drupal core is taking on more and more of these key features. Uh, back in Drupal 7, you may have installed views and then several different fields, then maybe a WYSIWYG editor, then uh, panels, display suite, uh, context for layout modules, and then perhaps you would have installed the media module plus multiple other yeah. sub-modules for YouTube and for Twitter and others. <laughs> and we're ending up with all of those in the Drupal 8 core. Yeah, we're, we're, a lot of it's moving into core. I mean, that was kind of been one of the knocks, one of the things that made Drupal you know, uh, the, the perception of, of Drupal being difficult uh, a reality is the fact that most folks want, you know, to be able to download a CMS and have it do 80% of what they want. And with Drupal 7, that was definitely not the case. I mean, you know, for all the reasons you just mentioned. So I think there's a, a definite movement towards let's get this kind of, you know, minimum required functionality that everybody's looking for into core make it easy to use, standardize it, and you know, let the contrib space kind of enhance what core provides. But let's at least provide kind of a common denominator for a lot of these things in Drupal core.
Okay, so uh, Rocky, question for you. It's been a, a tough year of sorts for the Drupal community at large. We had at least a couple of different scandals and DrupalCon Europe has been suspended for next year. So on the one hand, you've got Drupal 8, which is going, uh, going gangbusters at the moment, but you've got the Drupal community a little fractured. How do you see things from your end? Is the Drupal community still a healthy and growing place or is it going through a bit of a rough transition? Yeah, I mean, I, well, let's 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 break that up into you know two things. So you know, we have had some some scandalous things in our community. Um, I think you know I, I'm an optimist at heart, and I think a lot of those issues are you know a lot of it is a result of of an echo chamber. Um, I mean, there's definitely been some some things that the community has disagreed on, and and. We're, trying to figure out the, the right way to handle some of these issues. And it's, it's not always easy because there's not always a, a, a clear right and a clear wrong. So people are going to disagree and it's, it's just a matter of figuring out, well, how can we, you know, how can we disagree and still, you know, be, you know, work together and, and, and collaborate on things. And I, I think there's, you know, there's plenty of people who are, you know, who are willing to, you know, set differences aside and, you know, move the software forward. I don't think that's an issue. I, I think a lot of times, and you know, it's not just with Drupal, it's with, you know, <laughs> you can, you can talk politics, you can talk sports, you can talk, you know, technology. I, I think, you know, anytime there's something scandalous, that's all people can talk about. And it tends to dominate, you know, what the, you know, what the, what the headlines are. So there's that. I, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an optimist when it comes to that. I think generally, you know, people are good and people want to, you know, um, get along and do the right thing, and I, I think it's just you know it's just a matter of you know working through it and you know coming to the, the best decision possible. Yeah, I think the echo chamber is probably a good analogy. I, yeah. I would go and talk with Drupal customers all the time, and I don't think I've ever heard one of them mention anything about any of these scandals. Yeah, uh, they they seem to happen in a small little uh, set of blogs and a small little. Right. Uh, a set of people that have spent ten years in the Drupal community or more. Yeah, and it's not to say that those that that those opinions aren't valid. I mean, many, if not all, of them are, are valid. It's just you know some people are, are really passionate about it, and some people you know don't care to to get to engage in it. And it is what it is. I mean, there's no right, there's no wrong there. It's just people's different opinions, and we have to kind of you know evolve and grow and mature so that we can figure out the path forward. No, the other thing you mentioned was with DrupalCon Europe. I give the Drupal Association a lot of credit. This was a pretty gutsy call on their part to suspend DrupalCon Europe for a year because they knew they were going to take some, you know, a, a PR hit from it. I think. But if you, they've been pretty transparent, you know, with why they did it, and you know, it basically came down to finances. They are primarily a U.S.-based um, association, and they haven't been able to figure out what the what the secret sauce is to make DrupalCon Europe a success financially. And so what they've decided to do is they didn't have the bandwidth to both plan a 2018 DrupalCon Europe and stop and do the, the necessary due diligence to figure out what a successful DrupalCon Europe looks like. So they made, they made the tough call and said, all right, we're not gonna do it next year, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend that time working with some of the European camps and a lot of the European organizers to design a DrupalCon Europe that makes sense from both a professional and a financial level. 
So again, it's a bit of the echo chamber where, where people are saying there's no more Drupal Cotton Europe. And, you know, that's nobody's intention. It, it, it's not true. It's not, you know, it, it's, it, we're basically taking a time out so that the association, you know, who's is basically the financial arm of, of, of Drupal can figure out how to put on an event that, you know, does not lose a tremendous amount of money so that they can continue to support the community with everything else that they do. It, 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 it was a tough call, but I kind of, you know, I think it's another one of those things. Short term, it's going to cause some pain. Long term, it's the right call. So is there going to be a single major Drupal event in Europe next year? I don't know if that's actually been worked out yet. I know a lot of the camps have, have are kind of stepping up their game for next year. Um, I know that Dries has committed to, you know, the project lead of Drupal. Um, he's committed to attend uh, some of these events and give keynotes and participate in some of these other events to kind of make up for, you know, part of the loss of not having a con. There's some really, you know, forget about 2018. I mean, in, in 2017 in the past, there have been some really great events in Europe. I mean, Dev Days, which rotates from city to city in Europe, which is basically a developer conference. It's a, it's a lot of sprints. There's some sessions as well. There's nothing like that in the U.S. That's that is for Europeans and for a lot of us here in the U.S., that is almost a must-attend a must attend event if you're a Drupal professional. I've been really curious about this, not just in the Drupal community, but in other open source communities as well. There seems to be an awful lot of energy in, in Europe around open source. I remember going to DrupalCon Baltimore this year and Dries was introducing a lot of the main contributors to the Drupal core and at least a majority were from Europe and uh, in a lot of these communities, Magento being a big one, I see a lot of energy, a lot of events going on in Europe and perhaps more than exists in the US. But at the same time, it's hard to hold those big events across the whole continent. I know uh, WordPress has struggled often having to make it financially by charging an exorbitant amount of money to the sponsors to make it financially viable. Uh, it, it's an interesting place to try and hold these events. Yeah, and I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know what it's going to end up looking like. I know that there's definitely, you know, DrupalCons here in the U.S. are, they're, they're, they've always been financially successful because a lot of it is based on marketing Drupal, very businessy. There's a developer aspect as well here in the U.S. at, at DrupalCons, but it's, you know, it's a lot of deals are made type of thing. And that's not necessarily the case in Europe, you know. A lot of the kind of the larger events, like Drupal Camp London, I know it comes to mind. Um, those have like their business aspect, but then they also have their developer aspect. So I'm not sure if you know, and that's kind of what the association, the association, I think, has made the assumption in the past that the mix between business and development in the U.S. and Europe events is going to be similar, and it just hasn't been. So I think they're trying to figure out how to. You know, what is the right mix for a European event to get the right people there so that you have a good number of sponsors, a good number of developers? Um, like kind of what's, what's the recipe there to make it work in Europe? And I, I think that's where, you know, Drupal, I think, you know, as you mentioned, I think other CMSs are, are, are still trying to figure that out. Yeah, speaking from personal experience, we've done the training for, oh, God knows how many years now at DrupalCon in the U.S., I think maybe eight or nine years now, but we always struggled to get anyone to come to DrupalCon Europe training. They canceled it a couple of years ago, I think. Whereas in DrupalCon US, you may have 
10 training classes with 50 plus people in each class, we struggled to get 10 people in Europe. It's a, a very different audience, perhaps slightly more experienced, perhaps slightly less businessy. Um, yeah, I, I think the Drupal Association team have got a bit of a challenge on their hands there. Yeah, I think, and I, again, I'm not basing this on anything other than just kind of anecdotal um, evidence, but I, I think that a lot of the European-based contributors in Drupal are not hobbyists who are contributing in their spare time. I think a lot of them are full-time developers who are allowed to contribute as part of their jobs. And again, I could be making all that up. That's just kind of the sense that I get from talking to people. And, you know, we've seen the same thing with our training offerings at DrupalCons in the U.S. versus Europe. Now, I've always attributed to the fact that the folks going to DrupalCon Europe are, you know, for the most part, already kind of professional developers. There's not a whole lot of kind of hobbyists or, or people new to Drupal who are going to that conference um, or European conferences. And I think part of it is financial. I think it's, it's a very different thing because there's a lot of financial um, or economic disparity in Europe. You know, going from Eastern Europe to Western Europe, that's a big ask for Eastern Europeans. That can be a very expensive proposition. Going the other, other direction has its challenges as well. So I, I think there's some economic disparity that makes things difficult. But for any single region, I said there's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of contributors in, in, in various parts of Europe. So I think the challenge is really how do we design an event that, that you know, speaks to everybody and encourages everybody to attend and, and spend that money to attend as opposed to you know, regional events. So, Mike, you've been heavily involved in the Drupal community for a decade. How do you see things going forward for you? Are you going to still be in Drupal in 10 years' time? Are you still as enthusiastic as when you started? How are you feeling about the future for, for you and Drupal? Oh, my goodness. I can't even plan what I'm, what I'm having for dinner tonight. And you're asking me for 10 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. I mean, I, there has been, you know, I'm, I do only Drupal. There has not really been any slowdown in my business from Drupal 7 to Drupal 8. If anything, and I think this was, you know, this is kind of one of the nice benefits that's come out of this move from 7 to 8 with kind of embracing the, the greater PHP community. I can, I actually have some some interest as well as I've had a couple of pokes here and there to design trainings that aren't necessarily Drupal-centric. It's not because Drupal work isn't 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 keeping me busy these days it's just because it's an opportunity and it's something new for me to learn and it's just i think it's the result of the fact that a lot of us are for not well i'll say forced we're all learning we're all learning a lot of new things to use drupal 8. we're learning about symphony we're learning about twig we're learning about composer you know we're learning all these things that are not drupal centric anymore so um, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, I, I think moving to Drupal 8 is a, is a great, it's kind of, you know, it's medicine that we're all taking, that Drupal developers are taking because we're learning new things, but we're not just learning things that are going to make us better Drupal developers. We're learning things that are going to make us better developers. I, oh, yeah. We've, we managed to get through a whole 45 minutes of a podcast and we haven't even touched once on JavaScript. Yeah. <laughs> uh, things like Acquia adding Node.js as a, a first-class citizen on their hosting. Or, right all this headless stuff that's coming. Um, that's probably the best takeaway from where Drupal 8 is going, right? It's going into a much wider world of all sorts of other tools, way beyond anything that people really explored in Drupal 7. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, I definitely have friends in the community who, 
you know, their their jobs these days is mainly front end stuff. Um, theming, yes, but also doing things with React and Ember and things like that, integrating, you know, with with Drupal on the back end. I mean, there's so many opportunities for like automated testing, and continuous integration. So I know people who, you know, who have been in Drupal as long as I have, and they're not really doing you know, Drupal, like building Drupal sites anymore, but they are, you know, building whole infrastructures for supporting Drupal sites and, and deploying Drupal sites and, and, and having automated tests for Drupal sites and giving developers, the actual Drupal developers, all the tools they need to be successful. So I think the move from seven to eight has really kind of blown the doors open as far as, you know, what opportunities are available to people who are, you know, invested in Drupal. Oh, that's great to hear. Uh, Mike, where can people keep up with you if they want to hear more about your training and your work in Drupal? Uh, well, I appreciate that, first of all. Um, yeah, so DrupalEasy.com is, uh, is our company. And you know, right there on the homepage, there's information about our upcoming long-form classes. There's stuff about the podcast there. Contact form if you, if you want to contact me for anything. And I, my username is Ultimike pretty much everywhere. U-L-T-I-M-I-K-E. So on Twitter and Drupal.org and a lot of other places. So those are probably the two best places. Wonderful. And you'll be in charge of Drupal Camp Florida again this year, which will be the 10th edition, maybe? Yeah. So I don't want to say in charge. There's, there's actually three of us who are kind of organizing it together. Yeah, but it will. We're, we're, we're in the throes of organizing it. It's actually President's Day weekend. So it's February 16th through 18th. That's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Central Florida in Orlando. And yeah, it's our 10th anniversary. Uh, it's our 10th one in a row. And we're going to kind of you know blow the doors off a little bit and have some really cool, fun things. We like to, uh, you know, we understand how important the community is. We understand, you know, people, you know, taking, you know, three days or two and a half days to, to come to an event like this. We want to make sure they, they, they come and they smile and they learn a lot. Um, having good speakers, good opportunities to network, good opportunities to learn and have some fun. It makes it hopefully a real easy decision for someone to travel to Florida in February. Oh, and you're going to bring the alligators back again? I don't think I think we're gonna we're gonna do something different than the alligators. We'll put it that that way. We could easily bring the the we had a, an alligator available um, for petting and selfies last year. I don't think we want to we don't want to repeat ourselves. It's kind of too predictable. <laughs> Maybe just more alligators next year. <laughs> a room full of alligators. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful to talk with you, Mike, and um, I hope Drupal Eight has another wonderful year in 2018. Well, thanks for inviting me, Steve. Always great to talk to you. Thanks, Mike.